The Commentary Booth is a show for media lovers by media lovers just like you. If you want to support the show, go to pariomagazine.com.au. Welcome to the Commentary Booth, where we watch and you guessed it, commentate on the week that was in movies and TV. I'm your host and play-by-play commentator Jam Yutz, and each week I'm joined by a rotating cast of colour commentators to help you find your next viewing treat. This week I'm joined by an accountant who lists her favourite movie as Top Gun and favourite TV show as Suits. Welcome to the show, Adam Tag. How you going? Not too bad. How's life treating you at the moment? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good for this time of year. It's always a busy time of year, so that's all right. Oh, yeah. Tax season. Tax time. It always, yeah, ticks along very quickly. Alrighty. So before we dive in, WGA and SAG-AFTRA in their fight for better working conditions, our publication has always been focused on the creative brilliance of these individuals rather than on the business of TV and film. As such, we will continue to highlight their creative talents during this time so that their contributions to our entertainment are not overlooked. So uh, today, even though it's, it's not a movie, it's not a TV show, this time we're looking at a documentary, we're jumping on the bike and battling some demons with our review of Netflix's Mark Cavendish, Never Enough. Before we dive into this one, what did you think of this doco that's described as an intimate and captivating documentary that follows pro cyclist Mark Cavendish, whose fast road to the top, tragic setback and incredible comeback? Um, I really enjoyed it. I think, like, biased opinion from myself, he's been one of my favourite cyclists since I was young. Um, he's always been a great character in the cycling. Um, mm-hmm. Not what I expected from the documentary. I've been covering a different part of his career where he wasn't as a prolific winner when he was in his younger days. But yeah, no, I really enjoyed the documentary. I think it was well done. Gave an insight into the life of, yeah, one of the more colourful characters of the last 15 years of cycling this was totally unexpected from sort of what i was expecting going into this i didn't expect it to be quite so dark and emotional as well i was expecting your, your typical sports documentary let's cover the highlights of this guy's yeah. incredible career that saw him win 34 tour de france stages yeah no i was the same i like i didn't expect it to be about the more about the tough years than the 10 years before when he won the original 30 stages. It was yeah, more about the, the tougher years when he was a bit down and injured and sick and depressed. But even though like it was unexpected, I think that made this such a better documentary because it does sort of hit you. You go into this, like, oh, this will just be lighthearted sports yeah. documentary. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is actually really insightful yeah. and touching on some really important issues. Which shows what they go through as like you glamorized professional athletes life that they've got this life that we all wish we could live but when realistically some of the stuff they deal with is there's a reason there's such a select few that do it because it's a very tough lifestyle yeah i think even like during the documentary they say like cycling is a team sport but it's really one of the most lonely sports in the world it's a very selfish sport then that the way you live your life has to put a lot of people out um so for family gets you know, has to just come along for the journey and be very supportive of 
you're not wanting to do much because you're injured or resting or riding for eight hours a day. Or even not being with his family. I think a point where he said he spent more time with his lead out man, Bernie Isel, than he did his wife during every year. Yeah. And then, yeah, that had a baby and then two days later had to go away for the training camp and things that you just don't really appreciate. A normal human being wouldn't go straight back to work a day later. Yeah, not, not just go back to work, but go away for, for months on it. Yeah, it's not, oh, I'll be back in a few hours, it's I'll be back in four weeks. And I think like, I really liked how it sort of highlighted the team dynamics of even though he's such a big name, he sort of just got pushed aside in one of his teams and... Mm-hmm. I liked it. I was really impressed with the documentary. And we mentioned sort of exploring some difficult topics. So it went into like mental health, uh, eating disorders, and just general belief in yourself as an athlete. He went from these incredible highs to then all of a sudden being like, how do I go from the best cyclist in the world to like nothing overnight? It's like, doesn't make sense. Yeah, I can barely even finish a race, let alone be there at the end winning the race. He couldn't even yeah, get to the finish line. Um, couldn't get past the time caps. It just, yeah, I, I don't know, for me, like, I, he wrote a book, would have been 10 years ago probably, um, called Boy Racer, and it was the most, like, ego-driven book I've ever read. Like, it was like, I'm, I'm the best. Like, I know I'm the best. Um, people tell me otherwise, but I know I'm the best. Where this was such a more, like, uh, retrospective look of, yeah, life is hard and, like, I think I can be the best, but then I start doubting myself. Like, I don't know, just had a good aspect to it. I wonder if that's because this sort of had that outside look in on his life rather than him sitting down writing about himself. Yeah, yeah, probably. Were you expecting it to touch on, like, mental health and even eating disorders? I didn't know sort of any of this story from him, which I thought was really cool. No, like, even, yeah, for me, I followed him quite closely for quite a few years. So I knew of the years where he had his lean runs, didn't win a stage in the tour, didn't win much outside of the tour as well. And like I knew of the sickness, the Epstein-Barr disease and whatnot, but I didn't realise yeah, the effects it was having on him more so. Um, like the amount of times I, I thought he was going to retire. And I was like, no, nah, he kicked, kicked along. Um, yeah, so no, I didn't realise it was such a deep look into his life and what was going on. Yeah, like he was at one point, on like diagnosed with severe depression and was basically on the verge of being placed into a mental hospital or a hospital to just protect himself from himself. And I was like, whoa, I did not expect it to go here, but I'm, I'm glad that it did it in the way that it did. It didn't like overhype it or. Yeah. I, I don't think this was like pushed that way in the promotion either. It was kind of just like, oh, we're covering Mike Cavendish and it was all highlights of his career. That's what I thought it was just going to be about. Oh, here's stage one, here's stage two, here's stage three, here's, here's the win there. And that's sort of, sort of how it started. Like, it started with the, bam, he's won, he's come in, he's won those four stages, he's now on 30, so he's going to break the record. And mm-hmm. then, yeah, very quickly took a turn and sort of started showing those next few years. Another note that I wrote down as I was watching uh, the doco, I was really excited to hear Matt Keenan, the SBS Tour de France commentator's voice pop up. I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. He's such an iconic voice. As soon as you hear it, you just, you know, you're watching a bike race. You know that he's just such a good voice to have commentating cycling. Um, and yet to have them in, in the actual documentary really made it. And then it, the moment that it all sort of turned was the 
rivalry and crash with Peter Sagan in 2017, that was that was a pretty savage looking accident. Yeah, it looked really bad for Sagan. It looked bad for it, and like, I, I remember like at the time watching that, and it was just for him to get kicked out of the race was just unheard of. But you look back at it now, and it's like it was brutal. Like that, especially years later, some of the guys that have crashed into barriers and the injuries that they've had. Like, that could be a career-ending injury, which to an extent it was for Cav for a number of years. Like, he was out and then never really got back for five years. Yep. So, yeah, no, definitely it was tough watching. And, yeah, like, he nearly lost his finger, had just, like, a perfect hole in his shoulder blade. I was like, holy Jesus. Way worse than I initially realised. Things that put your body, they put their body through. Yeah, nuts. And then on his return, he had another gigantic accident as well, which was just as scary, if not more so. Which is, yeah, I like that the sort of, the documentary sort of covered how at a stage he started getting a crash reputation. Mm -hmm. Even though he'd been riding for so long, he just had a couple of crashes that some, not even like the Peter Sagan one wasn't his fault at all, but he started getting a reputation of this guy's going to crash coming into the line, which like that, I guess, mentally, if you've got that reputation in the peloton, is going to be draining. And, like, it probably even causes crashes as well because he's trying to be extra careful about it and nervous, and then everyone around him is trying to watch him and stay away from him and causing different accidents. That's when crashes are going to happen. And then even, like, I was shocked Lance Armstrong was featured in this because of, like, his history. He kind of just seems to be, let's avoid bringing him up during the tour, but he was in here and basically said, like, yeah, Cavendish has lost it and, like, is too scared to go for the holes that he previously would have. Yeah, no. I actually, yeah, I did like that. And I sort of, I'd listened to a podcast with actually um, Keenan before the pod, before the tour and he made a comment on it about Lance Armstrong knows nothing about the Tour de France other than the yellow jersey. And he's like, whenever he makes comments about anyone in cycling, unless it's about the yellow jersey... He was so focused on that that he doesn't understand the rest of cycling. Um, and then they made that comment and George Hinkapi was like, oh, I've got Cav for this one. And Lance was like, nah, he's done. And then he ended up winning. I just thought it was like, I don't know, cool that they literally heard that a week or two before and then it sort of followed through that, yeah, he didn't really, didn't really know the other sprinting stages and who was really firing at the time. I guess that kind of makes sense, like, to get to the level he got to you do have to be hyper-focused on... Ignore everything else, and this is what... This is what you need to do to win the general classification. The sprint stages mean nothing to me. Yep, everything else is just whitewash. But that podcast looks really cool. I actually kind of want to check out the Lance Armstrong podcast. Yeah, not a bad podcast. I um, listen to it around the tour times. Um, like, all the big races, they have a podcast. And it's just good because you've got, obviously, Lance has got his very commanding view of the world um but you then got like Hinkapi and Johan Benil he's coached from the time so you've got a very like well-versed cycling commentary I enjoy it have you watched the Unchained series on Netflix as well that's the one on the tour the, I haven't finished watching I've watched a couple of the stages like there's a couple of the bits of it but I haven't watched all of it yet yeah that that's another really good one but yeah I liked it yeah, documentary who yeah you have that one to focus on, like, the sports side of it, and then this one takes you sort of off the black, which is very, very cool. I, I like that they've separated them rather than... 
yeah, tried to lump it all in as one. Yeah, Unchained could have become very unwieldy if they focused too much on... Yeah. Okay, now let's go and follow one of these guys at home for three weeks before the tour starts or something like that. You mentioned Cavendish being sort of a very notable figure in the world of cycling. I did like that they brought up that he had had no media training. He kind of just was a kid that raced really fast and ended up getting all these opportunities and he had that friction with the media. That's one of the reasons I first started liking him when he was young. He came in, Australia didn't really have a great sprinter at that time, um, so I didn't have anyone to support that was Australian and there was this young, brash British guy who just did said what he feel, felt after a race and basically told everyone if they were being a dickhead, he would tell them. And I just, I liked him, like he had that personality that most of them are too polished nowadays that they don't want to upset anyone or their sponsors. do find that a lot with athletes these days. They are, their, their press conferences and interviews are very robotic and yep. it's kind of like, oh, there's no personality in sport anymore because everyone is so afraid to say something that's going to then disappoint a sponsor and then the sponsor's going to leave and then they're screwed. Yeah, definitely. And especially in like cycling where the sponsorships are so important. like Yeah, well, that's yeah, teams can fold so quickly. And like team names change every tour, which is, as I was mentioning to Davis when we spoke about the Unchained thing, that's something that really annoys me. Yeah, especially as a, like a, a fan, you can't, it's not like a football team, you can buy a jersey and you know that jersey is still around. It's going to last, yeah, or it's going to be at least similar. Like it's not going to look totally out of place if you go to yeah. a Sharks game and it's a, a 10-year-old jersey versus the, the current jersey. You go to the... You go to the tour with a 10-year-old jersey and it's like, what, who the, what is this? I think the only team that probably still is around from 20 years ago is the Cafetas team. And they're like one of the French feeder teams. Otherwise, they're all completely different from back in that day. Yeah, because Quickstep has changed four or five different times. Sky has been pretty consistent. Even then, like Sky, it's no longer called Sky. They're the Grenadier, any, any, whatever it is, Ineos Grenadiers now. Ah, like. uh, yeah, they just have the Sky logo on them. Still owned by the same mob, but yeah. It is frustrating. Like, yeah. Can't we just like put a team name on them and just stick with it and just change the sponsor jersey, like the sponsor logos? And on that front, they did mention a sort of a major team that came into the tour during uh, this time where Cavendish was struggling, the Bahrain McLaren team. That could have been really cool if McLaren had sort of stuck around and stuck in the sport a bit longer. Yeah, I think, I don't know, from my perspective, it was weird and they had the wrong bike sponsor at the time. I think there was a lot of people that didn't like their bikes then and the team just seemed to have their own weirdness about them from a management perspective as well as rider. I guess they, it, it's highlighted in the documentary the issues that Cav had with that team management. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I guess that's why some teams don't work even though they do have McLaren wind tunnels and the like. Yeah, like I just sort of, it could, could have opened up a whole new realm for the sport where like you've got the sort of the F1 like type team sponsorship deals coming in like it makes sense that bikes and cars like mix together a little bit but there's been a few like in their time that i've seen like there's been a ferrari colonago um collab they did one together i guess yeah some of those sort of prestige brands italians stick together yeah i just thought that was a really cool opportunity and it just did they what last one one season i don't remember seeing them much i think the mclaren branding just fell away because they were still they became Bahrain victorious I think or something like that yeah so yeah and then yeah the McLaren deal just must have fallen away with their F1 career until recently yeah 
the idea that uh, Cavendish kind of had a chip on his shoulder, I think that was like, that's something that I've found is fairly common amongst like top athletes. You kind of need that. I want to prove everyone wrong spirit. Yeah, I think definitely. I think that was probably for me, it was, it was highlighted in the documentary. Just, there was a section that was, I remember from the book where he talked about when he was young, the British selectors didn't select him. He talked about it in the documentary as well, how his, his figures on the ergs didn't line up. Like they didn't present him as elite. And he was like, well, the ergs don't matter. Like it's the results that matter. Um, and I think that sort of was like, he didn't get selected in, by the British. Like he talks about it in both the documentary and his book. Um, I mean, that really, to me, stems from the chip at the start. And then he was like, well, I'm just going to win everything and prove you guys wrong. Yep. Realistically, he did. And yeah, that's one of those things where like sports analytics and statistics have kind of got in the way sometimes of sport too. Like the whole money ball process where pick players and teams based on stats rather than like performance and victories. Especially in something like sprinting that... Yes, you want to have maximum power, but if you don't put yourself in the right spot, it doesn't matter. It's very technique-based. You need to be in the right spot and launch at the right time. And I think we even saw that a little bit in the squad selections for the New South Wales Blues in the state of origin this year. They were kind of just picking some people based on stats or reputation rather than performance in the last 12 months. Definitely, yeah. Uh, And then there was another funny part where they were uh, talking about how Cavendish would ask Siri who Doug Ryder was versus who Mark Cavendish was. Yep. I thought that was very funny, and it, but it also it triggered my phone. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I was sitting there watching it, and my phone just lit up and was like, yes. And I was like, what the hell? Got the same voice as a little British guy. Yeah, so that was annoying. Uh, and then they even touched on lockdown with yeah, yeah. it hitting and him basically being forced to spend... 10 weeks with his family, the longest period he had in quite some time. Yeah. Which turned out, like, for most people, that kind of was a horrible time in the world. But for him, I think it was a massive positive impact on his mental health because he realized my family is much more important than winning a random race. That's it. Yeah, it gave him that reset that he probably needed. That's one thing I did take out of the documentary, how important his family is to him. I think, yeah, it definitely highlighted that he's... I think once racing's done, he'll be a very good family man. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's another one of those like important topics that it touches on. Like it's not all about just like cycling. It's look after your mental health, look after your like diet and then like look after your family. Like have that support network to help you as well. Yeah. Like there's no point being hyper-focused on one thing. You do need to be much more well-rounded and, live a balanced life to be a success in anything really which i think was like the main takeaway that people should get from the doco yeah definitely and then obviously ultimately he did have a bit of a return to success and form when he moved over to quick step and kind of spurred on by the fact that his coach at quick step basically didn't sugarcoat anything yeah as soon as he came in said yep you're shit you're never going to win anything again yeah Signed up for a zero-dollar contract, effectively. This would have been a guy before who was on millions of dollars a year on mm-hmm. minimum wage. Yeah, he had to go and go out and find his own sponsor to pay yeah. pay his way with this team. And, yeah, they 
they told him like what you're doing is shit and you're never going to win doing what you're doing so let's change things up and so that was something he actually liked to hear because he he is sort of kind of that way as well but i think the biggest factor was that just placing no pressure on him like they didn't expect him to win anything so he could just go out and enjoy cycling again yep actually get that joy of it back and ride like a kid again which i think that sort of the documentary sort of highlights well about how his passion came from just riding the bike as a kid mm-hmm. which i think that sort of yeah that tied in well at the end that that's sort of how he got his mojo back even in like that uh opening little home movie clip that they show I liked that they didn't highlight him like winning a race. They they highlighted a moment where he came second and some other random kid off off screen was like, no, I won. Yeah. And that was cool. So yeah, ultimately it was five years between two different stage wins for him. And then all of a sudden he racked up four more, won the green jersey 10 years after last holding it. Uh, we also see him win his first yellow jersey, which I didn't realize that it took him so long to get a yellow jersey. Yeah. Yeah, I think we were just one of those ones that not many stages lined up for him, I think, because a lot of the time it's not a sprint stage on the first stage of the tour. It was only a few years that they did, and the years that they did it, he'd seem to always miss out on that one stage. Yep. And then the documentary almost had, like, the the perfect fairy tale ending with him getting the 35th win, but unfortunately got blocked out on the Champs-Élysées. I think that would have just been, like, he couldn't script when that, I remember when that tour was on, being like, well, he's been the most dominant sprinter this tour. He's going to win on the Champs-Élysées with ease because he's done it so many times. And then I just remember watching him being like, oh, he's boxed in there. And just, yeah. No, he couldn't script it any better and for it to not happen was pretty, yeah. Yeah, like if it was a Hollywood movie, he'd have won that. But yeah. Definitely. It, it's sport and sometimes it doesn't always go that way, which is a bit sad. I think if he'd won that, he maybe would have just like immediately retired. Well, I think so, yeah. Yeah. There's there's no point anymore. Yeah. Would have had the record. I don't see it being beaten anytime soon. And In terms of getting that 35th win, do you think there's any chance that he does get one eventually? I thought this year he had a shot. Like he came second before he crashed this year on one of the stages. Um, so I definitely feel like he had a shot this year before he's crashed and having to pull out. And I really don't know if he's going to ride again next year. That's one thing, like, I think, for me, seeing the family aspect in that, I don't know if he's got it in him for another year. Um, obviously, he will know that one, but I don't know. I'd like to see him go one more year and just try to get that stage. Yeah, just get go on the team, go all out for that first week, and if you don't get it, then pull out. I guess, yeah, see what the route gets released when it gets released and see if there's stages that suit him. But um, I'd love to see it because I just... I'd, I like him and I think he deserves it. I feel like he should have many more victories. There was that period that, he, yeah, he could have won a lot more, but... Yeah, well, five five years where he didn't win anything, which is pretty rough, like... Yeah. If he'd won, if he'd been fully fit for those five years, he would have totally eclipsed that record, I think. Yeah. And then the last thing, that Epstein-Barr syndrome or disease or whatever it was, I had never heard of that until this documentary, and it, it sounds terrifying. Especially to get it like to get it twice as well, not just have it once, but then get it a second time. It yeah, it doesn't sound like a fun situation, especially the fact that it can lead to permanent chronic fatigue. Mm. It's pretty uh, scary. Yeah, like basically, just don't do anything until it clears up. Like that sounds horrible. Especially for someone who's used to being out riding all day every day. 
Uh, so then in terms of a rating for this documentary, what would you give Mark Cavendish never enough out of five? Probably give it a four out of five. I just, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I guess for me, the, the bits I didn't like was the fact that it didn't touch on his earlier days when he had the Australian as his lead out man, um, Mark Renshaw. Um, that was just because I'm purely an Australian, I'm biased. Oh, yeah, but I really enjoyed it. So yeah, four out of five, four and a half out of five, probably actually. Yeah, it probably could have been a little bit more comprehensive on his career, but I think for the the focus that they gave the documentary, I was really happy with it. So yeah, it wasn't about like focusing on every single of his hundred and seventy plus wins or whatever it is. It was just about this bad period. Yeah, like I th- I think if it had been promoted really heavily as like a total autobiography of his life, then it probably would have needed to be a series to cover everything. But I think as a one-off, like an hour and a half, nearly two-hour documentary, I thought it was fantastic. So I, I gave it a five just because I, I was blown away by the the, the topics and the areas that it, it covered. I did not expect that at all. I think like for the time period it covered, the amount of depth I had from those periods as well, like there was yeah a lot of footage from those periods, not just from the Tour de France. That's a bit I was really impressed with as well. Mm-hmm. And like with how open he was, I was so glad that he was so open about his his mental health struggles and yeah, the emotional but the eating disorder as well. Like I, that's normally something that a lot of people would cover up, but he was like, yeah, no, I was just solely focused on weight loss because it it saw immediate improvements in p- performance, which I assume is probably quite common across professional cycling. Yeah, definitely would be. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, Mark Cavendish, Never Enough. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the commentary booth. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on podcast services and on YouTube. You can follow Adam on Instagram at freedom.advisory for all of your accounting tips and needs and highlights of his sponsored soccer team. Champion soccer team. How are they going? Yeah, good. Second last game of the season today, so nearly done for the season. They're having fun. That's all that matters, I guess, at that age. Yeah, that is definitely. Uh, and then you can follow me on social media at Jamie Apps Media and at Paro Magazine. Thanks, Adam, for jumping on and enjoy your little trip away. Cheers, thank you. The Commentary Booth is a fan-funded production of Jamie Apps Media. You can support the podcast alongside our magazine, Paro Magazine, on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Jamie Apps Media. The following people supported at the community support group level or higher, and you cannot fathom how incredibly appreciative we are for their support. Brian and June Hart, Blake Robinson, Rena Renee, Courtney Paulson, Darren Hatcliffe, Jackson Carr, and Tracy Apps.